TJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. A college athlete transfers. Well, that's just a day that ends in Y. There's people entering the transfer portal. Yak is somehow, someday, going to make a million dollars off the transfer portal. I don't know how he's going to do it. He's going to obsess about it. He's going to be on the cutting edge. It's athletes in the transfer portal all the time. And it doesn't really matter the sport. It's a big deal in basketball. It's a big deal in football. Maybe it's a bigger deal in other sports, too, and we just don't follow it close enough because those are the two sports we follow. But PK, when an athlete goes into a transfer portal, you don't usually think much of it, but you wondered if maybe there's a trend out there that's just starting we should keep an eye on. And what's that? So you got a post up here on Facebook. You put it up a couple days ago. What about uh, BYU losing an athlete to a historically black college? Is that something that can hurt them over and over? Looks like BYU will lose a defensive back to a historically black college. Are you concerned this will happen more often? I think the quick and easy answer is no. Uh, Most historically black colleges are in the South. Most college football players stay regional. You know, there are some exceptions, but we can usually name them. Obviously, the U just came up big with uh, three recruits from Florida and, uh, and did well. But those seem to be the outliers. So losing kids to historically black colleges in the South seems like a reach to me. Okay. But you put it up there, so I'm thinking maybe you've seen something or been told something or heard something different. Well, I just think the uh, world in which we live in these days, that uh, that type of thing seems to matter more right now today than it ever has. And uh, if someone is very much motivated to do that, I can see it being something. Because it's certainly not an issue if you're good enough to play in the NFL. And most kids... They want to play in the NFL, right? Well, if you're good enough, I think we've seen a number of examples over the years where they'll come find you. And so it really doesn't matter where you play, whether it's a historically black college or it's the big sky uh, or other of these uh, less uh, profile, lower profile leagues. They don't care. They'll find you. And you're going to have that opportunity. So if it's about the NFL that you're looking for, that's not an issue whatsoever. So you have that situation taken care of. It's up to you whether you're good enough. I mean, that's the only thing I think that's going to hold you back, speaking from the NFL. And, you know, I knew a lot of folks from the Los Angeles area who went to historically black colleges. So I would disagree that it's so wait, when you When you say when you knew them, so people who had been at historically black colleges and you met them as adults, or your wife's teaching, so there were kids in the area who went to high school there, and then they left and went both. too. Okay. Both. Yeah, really? both. Yeah. I mean, we're just not exposed to as many African Americans in Utah as I was every day, and as she was every day. She taught at Washington High, which was 90%. Black. So, obviously, the exposure, and more important than the exposure, the interaction and the relationships in which you develop. That's why I've always said that, for me and my experience, one of the ways to lessen the evils of racism is to have folks get to know one another. And then you find out that uh, Mary and Bob and John, you know, they've got the same desires and the same goals and the wishes and aspirations as you do. And you get to meet them. I mean, you like every single person you meet, but you're probably going to like way more than you dislike. And then as long as you go down that line, 
Well, then if you start having these thoughts, well, those people, oh, wait a second here. What do you mean those people? Because I know these people over here, and they're great people. And you see the daily struggles of their lives and the successes of their lives, and then you get to like them. And that breaks down barriers. And I was fortunate enough to experience that many times over uh, during my time because it was interesting at the time she was working there, it's the same time that I was covering the schools there. So all those schools in that South Central area, I was doing preps at the time. That's the way you normally it normally works in the newspaper business. It certainly did during when I was breaking in. You know, you just weren't handed uh, the Rams or the Raiders or the Lakers. You know, yeah, <laughs> you had to prove yourself, and you started out usually with the high schools, and that's certainly what I did. And as it were, those were my assignments covering Carson and Banning, while well, those public schools in the L.A. City Unified and Pedro High and Narbonne High, those were the teams they played, was Crenshaw and Washington and Dorsey and so forth and so on, right? So you end up going to those schools and you end up knowing the coaches uh, and you find out that you like them. Well, it opened my eyes and how many of them had gone to school in the South. That was interesting to me. And... Uh, Either they came back or they migrated to the West. So I think it has been done. But I think it's something to keep your eye on. And this, what's this kid? Uh, Heron, is that his name? And he was projected to be in the, at least have an opportunity to play at BYU. And, then, and, and I understand that the word was that he's interested in, in doing going to a historically black college, which that's great. Uh, you wonder if that movement will grow stronger and will it be or are kids all the same in that they want to play in an area that gets the most publicity and gets the the biggest and is on television and so will that supersede any uh, individual pride racial pride whatever it might be however you want to phrase it you know I think it's probably left to the individual want playing time and they want to be on TV at the biggest schools you know that I, I don't follow all the historically uh, black colleges and football but there was a time when you if you were an NFL fan you did follow Grambling because they were pushing out at least three or four and maybe five or six NFL draft picks every year now the draft was bigger also it was a longer draft in those days but the there were grambling players all over the NFL. And obviously I was rooting for Chargers and they had a couple grambling players. But you can see it on other teams. And that's really stopped. Now they had a legendary coach and he retired. But I think they produced like, I think Grambling's produced four NFL draft picks in like a quarter of a century. So it's not at all uh, what it was. Now to your point though, there are still kids coming out of, you, know, you don't have to go to Alabama and Ohio State to play in the NFL. You can go... To a bottom, a lower power five, you can go to any group of five. We were just at Weber State's golf tournament, and we had Jay Hill on, and he was talking about the kids they've put in the NFL, despite the fact, you know, Bama's got the first choice. The rest of the power five has the second choice. The group of five has the third choice. You know, Weber State is uh, has to develop kids, but they do it, and they put kids in the NFL. So, yes, they can find them from anywhere. And, you know, maybe there's a little bit of your Stanford point and we should look forward, not backwards. They always talk about how Stanford started recruiting nationally what, 10 to 15 years ago. Harbaugh started to change it 
Uh, Shaw picked it up. If anything, it seemed to accelerate under Shaw. And they can recruit nationally because with technology, even if you're far away, you're really not that far away. You know, you, you can FaceTime with somebody now and it's like you're sitting across the room from them talking. So that does make it easier and it should lessen the amount of kids who are going regionally. But do you think that any of the local schools can make a living off Florida or they ought to still be focusing on California and Texas? I mean, those are viewed as the three big states for producing high school talent. And I still think kids going across the country is the exception, not the norm, even though it's easier, clearly. I think that as far as uh, it's a different philosophy, I think, between BYU and Utah, because obviously BYU has to get the majority of its best talent is going to be LDS, and it's always going to be that way. And I think that it is when an LDS kid doesn't go to BYU, I think it's a double whammy. Say when an LDS kid doesn't go to Utah, he says he's says local. Just go local. So you got the, the double combination of a local kid, and state by local I mean in the state, and he happens to be LDS. I think it's a blow for Utah if he's really good and he doesn't go to Utah. I think it's a blow, but I think that it's easier for them to replace that blow. Whereas for BYU, if it's a local kid who's LDS, I think it's double because they really, really need that kid and those types of kids. Obviously, this is a no-brainer, 100%. That will be the backbone of all of their athletic programs. Men and women, for that matter. It doesn't matter the sport. Football is the highest profile, obviously. So when they don't get that kid, it becomes harder to replace that kid. It's easier at Utah to replace that kid. You follow me? Yeah, because absolutely. They, they, can, they just don't have those types of issues. It's more broad-based where it's it's more narrowly focused at BYU and what they're trying to do. So I think that that, that is their recruiting. And so for Utah, uh, I would say wherever you can get kids. I mean, I don't know that you need to uh, you concentrate on areas, but I don't know that you need to eliminate any areas now. So you're not going to have as much success probably recruiting Louisiana, just off the top of my head. But who's to say that you can't get kids? You got Booby Hobbs. Now, he's an undersized kid, but he did come and play for you. And he made contributions to your football program. We had him on the uh, air a couple of weeks back with the Morgan Scally situation, right? So don't limit yourself in any way. Recruit wherever. Now, you want to allocate your money appropriately. You don't want to waste your money, particularly now going forward, and money's going to get tighter probably, certainly in the short term. We'll see about the long term. But if I'm the Utes, I'm thinking about recruiting anywhere. Uh, With an emphasis clear locally, obviously, and then regionally too. But get guys wherever you can whoever shows interest in your program don't don't assume that somebody from Connecticut isn't going to be interested Sharif Shah was telling a story about uh, recruiting somebody in Arkansas and I'm like 
Arkansas? He's like, yeah, we recruit in Texas, but if we know a high school coach in Texas and because of family reasons, he wrote, relocates to Arkansas, which is, you know, right across the border and not the big, and now he, re- and he says, hey, you need to look at this kid. We go look at this kid. He says, we have alumni anywhere and we have yeah. alumni who says, this kid's a great fit. Well, we'll go look at him, but we don't blanket a state uh, the way we do Texas. You know, well, I mean, they do obviously in Utah and California, but they're not going to blanket some random state, throw it out there, whatever. I don't know, Ohio. You know, they're going to blanket Ohio the way they do Texas. Well, beyond the region, right? But I think you should blanket the region too, right? But when you get a specific recommendation from a high school coach that you've built a relationship with over time, or on uh, someone, you know, one of your alumni, well, then you absolutely go there and you look at that kid. So they are doing that. Yeah, and to me, if you don't get any kids out of Florida anymore, it wasn't a waste to get no. the three, obviously, because they, uh, particularly Hunley and Moss, I mean, and, and the Simpkins too, but all three of them contributed, some contributed a little bit more, and it was great. If you never got a kid out of Florida, it was worth bringing those young men in, because they all graduated, they all played well, Moss, you know, really great, uh, but they all were, they made contributions to the football program athletically and culturally. I don't think anybody could argue. But it would also be a shame and somewhat of a waste if you didn't follow that up because now you got a rep down there. Yes. And so continue to exist. It's the same thing with the Houston area. And Morgan had done a phenomenal job in the, in the Houston area. And Guy Holiday is to, uh, recruiting uh, some there too in addition to other areas in the state of Texas. And because he coached down there and he's got relationships and he's – He's a, a person that people are just naturally attracted to uh, the way he is. I mean, he's a marvelous man, and we always enjoy talking to him. And if you don't cash, if you don't try to cash in, that's negligent. If you try to cash in and you don't, well, that's, un- that's a shame, but you got to try. And really for BYU, too, I think that BYU needs to spread its wings also and try to get as many kids from other areas as they possibly can, knowing that just logically, obviously the LDS situation is going to be the easiest and the most natural. But I don't think they should limit themselves either because I think there's a number of non-LDS kids who happen to be whatever. We'll just go with African-Americans since they tend to be the majority of, uh, certainly in the NFL anyway. Uh, I think there's a number of kids who would be fine in the environment that BYU has. And so don't limit yourself on that. Continue to recruit that way. The interesting thing for me, rather than seeing young black kids who would be going to historically black colleges, I'm wondering how much of a push it will be to make sure you have a strong representation on your coaching staff and your not just your your coaching staff but the entire football program staff because there's a lot of folks who are employed in the football program who aren't the full-time assistant coaches how many of that will we see going forward a trend that there'll be far more African-Americans. Because if you look at what Herm Edwards, Herm Edwards has done, that's clearly what he's done. The number of black men in that football program as administrators, coaches, assistants, all analysts, all those roles that they have, has really skyrocketed. And you wonder he's how on the, much... He's on the front end. He's on the leading edge of a trend. Yeah. 
Now, I don't know if that's something that he set out to do. I can't speak to that as opposed to he just interviewed 10 guys for this position and he felt that this man was the one he hired and he happened to be of that particular race. I can't say either way that it was a conscious decision because those are the guys that you're going to recruit in larger numbers than Caucasians. I can't say that. I don't know. But nevertheless, it's turned out that way. Or does it just boil down to the, that's who you're more comfortable with, maybe? It's not racial. It's just who you're more comfortable with. Uh, and so you've got to have those relationships with those, those folks. And those, who, that, that's, those are the men you brought into your program. Also, who does he have relationships with built up over decades? What is your network? I mean, we always talk about, you know, how, I mean, if you really stop assuming what your life looks like, step back and look at what your life looks like, like, who do you work with? What is your network? You know, what percentage of people in your life are a different race with you? And if so, what different race are they? You know, do you know more people who are, uh, black? Do you know more people who are Hispanic? Do you know more people who are Polynesian? Do you know whatever? You can just keep going down the list. And so, hey, that's his network and he knows guys and there you go. You know, and it, you know, he also has had, and you've brought this up before, specific hires. You know, there are football programs um, you know, we see it here in Utah. There are football programs that are dominant, and with open enrollment, a lot of the best players go there. Well, he's gone into those programs in California and Arizona and hired those high school coaches. So, who are those guys? I don't. I don't think race was the first element on his list. He was going into elite programs, and we don't necessarily know who they are here in Utah. But because you've worked in Arizona and California, you do know who they are. You know yes. which programs are cranking out. And actually, there's a fair number of people in the football world here who know a surprising amount of which schools, you know. Oh, I mean, they Long know. Beach, Long Beach Poly is a name. You don't have to be that into it to know they've got a long history. I mean, you can watch an NFL broadcast and they'll mention it, you know. And so certainly someone like, uh, you know, Riley Jensen, he plays high school and college football here and he lives here, but he knows all about Long Beach Poly. Um, so I'll there tell are you a quick story. Now. Yeah. Um, it's about four or five years ago. Well, maybe a little. No, it was longer because Kalani, Kalani was coaching at Utah. So it was longer than that. Uh, time gets away from me and you think it's three or four years and it's actually eight or nine years. And I was uh, down for Pac-12 Media Day and I always stay uh, a few days before and after and combine it right, right for a little vacation then and spend some time at the beach. Well, it's time to come home. And it's Saturday afternoon. I'm getting ready to, to drive back. And I stop at uh, uh, Rosecrans Boulevard in Hawthorne and go into Jersey Mike's and order a couple of subs that we're going to eat in the car on the way. And there's a big poly kid there. And we get to talking. And uh, turns out he's a football recruit, right? Forget what high school he went to, but obviously went to the high school in the area. And because it was uh, the end of... Uh, July football starting you know they always the, the Pac-12 media days football usually starts the next week so I remember the kid's name I got to be talking and he and he was a recruit a recruitable athlete I don't remember where he went but I come back and the next week I talking to Kalani and I say yeah I met it uh, at Jersey Mike's and I met uh, so-and-so uh and he knew, boom, he knew everything about him. 
<laughs> just, and uh, one time I was talking to Kyle, and I was telling him about a kid who was going to play uh, baseball in Northern California at a junior college, sort of out of the way. And Kyle's there. Uh, which one? I said it's in California. Which one? Uh, it's in Northern California. Which one? <laughs> <laughs> Don't give me your generalities, Ken Ham. <laughs> right. And so stop beating around the bush. Right. Because I didn't think he knew. Right. And I told him the school, and he knew everything about it. <laughs> and, and so these guys know all this stuff. So yes, they know about all these kids. And you know, I talked to. Uh, Utah coaches uh, after Eno Benjamin had started to make his mark at, at, at ASU, and they knew all about him because they recruited him. He was from a he's a Texas kid, and so forth. So that world of recruiting is really really small, and they know who's who and where he's from, and which school is this way that way, and the relationship with the coaches and all that stuff. That's extremely important, and very much so. And, and I told you that, uh, who was the kid? Uh, uh, oh, uh, Zach Wilson's younger brother. Yeah. Now that he's signed, I can tell the story, right? What's his, I think his Josh name is. Josh Wilson, yeah. J- Josh. Yeah. yeah. And you were standing right there with me. I do. We were, I know the story. Here we go. <laughs> we were there at uh, BYU Media Day. Yep. And we're talking. Who were we talking with? I think it was um, A-Rod. No, it was it was Ed Lamb. Oh, was it? Okay. A-Rod wasn't there yet. He was still uh, coaching at Utah. And uh, so he was going to come on our air because they do a great job of bringing the coaches and players up. T- and we do upstairs and we broadcast all day down there. And we're not going to do it this year because we're not going to have it. Hopefully they have it next year and we get back to doing it. We all enjoy that stuff. And uh, I got to talking. And you were standing right next to me. And Ed told the story of how they research everybody and they were discussing whether to offer Josh Wilson a scholarship and they go to the campuses and this lady teacher calls over coach lamb and says, Hey, I want you to know that this young man, this Josh Wilson, he is a tremendous kid. One of my most favorite kids I've had in my class and I just want you to know that, uh, you know, I'm not a football talent evaluator, but I know kids because I've been coaching, or excuse me, I've been teaching for 30 years, and this kid is as good as any kid that I've had in my classes over these 30 years. And Ed told us that sort of sealed the deal yep. right then and there. Out on the track, they decided we're going to offer that kid a scholarship. And now he's at you, Epi. He signed. He's ready to go. And I can reveal the story later uh, because you know it, it's it's done deal now, and because of a teacher's recommendation. Yeah, you know there were stories about Steve Fisher when he's coaching at San Diego State about what a good guy he is, and he may well be. I, I've never met him, uh, but the story that I saw was. Um, he's a guy who walks into a high school and knows the name of everybody who works in the office. When he, you know, you have to, as a visitor, you have to walk in and say you're here and get a little badge, security issues, right? And so he doesn't just talk to that person in the office. He knows that person's name. And, and somebody was saying, it's just how special it is. I'm thinking, yeah, and he wants information literally from everybody. And if he knows your name, I mean, doing the right thing, 
often pays off. And it doesn't sound as noble, but well, don't do the wrong thing and have it not pay off. I mean, that's a stupid plan. Do the right thing. You know, and he remembers literally you can walk into any school and say, hey, because he recognizes the lady sitting there at the front desk. And then like your wife, there's someone who can tell him what the kid is like when his guard is down and he thinks nobody is watching. Hey, I never revealed who that lady teacher was. <laughs> Oops. Uh, people can put it together. Corner Canyon. You've referenced it a million times. Uh, and one other thing, if you run into a BYU coach and start talking to him, just a little more, you're on, the, you're on the cutting edge here. Hey, why don't you guys, you know, one guy from this state and one from that and not get every kid from Utah, Arizona, and California. Right now on the BYU roster, they have... Uh, a kid from Connecticut, a kid from Florida, a kid from Georgia. They have a kid from New Hampshire. They have a kid from South Carolina. They have a kid from Tennessee. So you can already see that in play, that when there's a relationship, they pull a kid out of a state. I mean, when you think BYU, you do not immediately think uh, Connecticut or Georgia. But uh, there they are. Now, they also have a gazillion kids from California and Utah and Texas and Arizona. That's the... The backbone yeah, of the program. Yeah, that's the back, backbone of the program. But there's still, you know, just a, a random kid from here or there. They go go get a linebacker out of uh, out of New Hampshire. Yeah, that's not exactly the BYU model. But if it works and you get talent, you got to go get them. All right, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 the zone. Basketball is back. The Zone Sports Network is keeping you up on all the latest news with the Utah Jazz in the NBA. This is a back-to-basketball update. Oh, he never looked at the net. Presented by Zions Bank. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. Bucks coach Mike Boonholzer says having a healthy Giannis Antetokounmpo is a huge advantage after the superstar sprained a minor joint capsule his knee on March 6th. He has since fully recovered. It's a huge advantage for us that Giannis will be completely and totally healthy. He's in a great place both mentally and physically. Laker guard Avery Bradley has opted out of playing in, NBA, in the NBA's Orlando, Florida restart due to concerns about the health of his family. His oldest son is six and has a history of issues recovering from respiratory illness. Free agent guard J.R. Smith has emerged as a leading candidate to sign with the team and replace Bradley. Nuggets star Nikola Jokic tested positive for the coronavirus in his native Serbia and his return to the U.S. to rejoin the Nuggets has been temporarily delayed. He'll have to test negative twice in a 24-hour period before he can fly back to the U.S. That's your Back to Basketball update. It's presented by Zions Bank on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of The Zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. To say that what happened with me in USC was emotional would be an understatement because this was something that almost killed me. I went through during my uh, NFL career where I was depressed, I was suicidal. I went through a wave of emotions that really affected me in such a way because I was in New Orleans by myself. I had my teammates there, but you know, there's a lot of time by yourself. If your mindset and if your foundation is not in the right place, that can be deadly. 
That's Reggie Bush saying a disassociation from USC almost killed him there. And PK, I'm, I got to admit, I'm surprised to hear it because we have not heard it up until now. Uh, but it does fall in line with what Steve Cleveland was telling us is that the anxiety level in this generation, you got to get to know people. You got to get them to trust you. You'll find out a lot of deep-seated anxiety that is there and it's a factor when you're coaching but you got to get to know people before they trust you and open up and then you find out what's right under the surface and you didn't know it and it can be surprising I just think that everything Steve said when I heard that Reggie Bush comment I thought well that's what he's talking about you think you know somebody but you don't know what's bugging him under the surface and what's bugging him as an understatement yeah, I guess I, I think but, that a lot of what Steve was saying was relative to his time as a mission president yeah I can see some parallels there. It's not a perfect set of parallels with uh, Reggie Bush, but you know, you're away from home, out of your element, certainly away from your support system. And uh, you know, what kind of impact does that does that have on people? I don't know. How did you guys handle it, Yak? How was Taiwan? I enjoyed Taiwan, but there. Hey, if you want to, you want to keep it secret. I'm I'm okay with it. <laughs> Thanks, PK. Keep it quiet. Yeah. All right, other stuff we have talked about today. We have talked about the NBA. Mike Budenholzer fired up. Giannis Antetokounmpo is healthy. Big advantage for the Bucks. You would think advantage for the Lakers having LeBron rested and healthy because you know he's going to carry a big load in the playoffs. Although the Lakers have lost Avery Bradley, who started 44 games for him this season. He's got a six-year-old son who has a history of issues recovering from respiratory illnesses. He's chosen not to go. And now there's talk that the Lakers might be bringing in J.R. Smith. So... Hey, you know, Avery Bradley's okay, but he's no Bill Bradley. Oh, there it is. Famous Bradley's. Ready? He's really no Bob Bradley either. World War II General Omar Bradley. I was say, Tom Bradley. He was my mayor for many years. Hey, there Los you go. Los Angeles. Sean Bradley. Sean Bradley. Local. Good work there, Yak. He's my center. That's my center. That's my center. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't he play for Utah? Went to the Final Four. Wait, that's Britton Johnson. Nope, I always that would get be those Britton guys Johnson. I get those guys confused all the time. Nice. <laughs> Britton will be texting you in about three seconds. Knock it off. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think that one team has an advantage over the other. It's who has the collection of better players has the advantage. Well, the huge uh, X factor here, trying to figure all this out, is uh, who's gonna who's gonna get back on a roll. You know, who's gonna recapture their mojo, their form, that just kind of really get in a groove, really get in a groove and play well. And which team has it on paper, but it's kind of clunky and it doesn't quite click. This is the NBA. This is predictable. The NBA is the most predictable major sports league that we have. So Lakers, Clippers, in the Western Final. You could make a strong case for that, but I don't know that I would have made a guarantee irregardless of the three- or four-month layover. You can make a strong case, but that's why I was anticipating the postseason with a lot of uh, eagerness because of the fact that I think there's some high, high-quality teams in the West. And the Jazz I would have put in there to a degree, but obviously that's lesser with Bogdanovich out. But if you're going to be out, be out this postseason rather than next postseason. But I don't think that the Jazz are 
just cast aside completely whoever ranked them as the 22nd team of the 22 based on their health. I disagree. I disagree completely because now it's the opportunity for other guys. I mean, we've seen Joe Ingles take example using him. When he was coming off the bench, he wasn't doing as much. Then he moved into the starting lineup, and they needed him to do more. What did he do? He produced more. I mean, it's a black and white fact. You can't argue it. So now they're going to need two, three guys to produce more. Whether they can or not remains to be seen. But it's not like they can't. They're not asking guys to do things that are way beyond. So in order to cover for Bogdanovich, you're going to need more from everybody. Well, they've got players who are capable of giving more, including Donovan Mitchell. He's capable of giving more. I mean, I put that up on Facebook a couple days ago. You know, what is Mitchell's ceiling? We haven't really hit it. But my gosh, man, I think it's he's got more to give. There's nobody who peaks at 23. This is nobody who's a star, who's an all-star. And the thing about Donovan with the all-star deal, this wasn't one of those deals like O'Kerr made it one year. And, uh, no, was this is a, the start of a series of appearances. Yeah, yeah. yeah right. This is... The, don't be booking vacations over uh, All-Star Weekend, or at least the first part of it, because you're going to be busy. Yeah, exactly. So he can give more. He's barely getting started here. He's 23 years old. So I'm not picking them to go to the Western Conference Final, no. But I'm also not just casting him out as having no chance. And the West has some seriously good teams. And you look at Houston. You know, they had they bring in a major player right off the bat, right? It's Westbrook. That's going to take time. Then you make a major trade, and you get rid of Capella, who a couple years ago we had on a Houston writer saying he was better than Gobert. Well, it didn't even last two years, and they traded him. <laughs> so that's a major deal. And the point is, is those things take time. You just don't throw guys together and say, go be at your best. Six weeks into joining. Well, the point also is, well, you know, they've had some time. So how is this layoff? Is it going to help them? Because now they've they've had time when you're playing. You don't have as much time to analyze because there's so many games. Well, now you've had all this time where you played a point. You played 60 some games and then you haven't you've gone all this time without playing. Does that help you understand the situation? So the point is that I'm not ruling Houston out either. So there's a lot of good teams in the West that. I think is going to make for a very good postseason. I can buy that, and I'm not 100% locked down on Lakers-Clippers in a conference final, but I think if someone threw out the number 75 or 80%, I could sign off on that. I think okay. that for the, the Rockets and the Jazz and the Thunder and obviously the Nuggets, probably, and I listed them last, but really probably the Nuggets first and foremost – um, although maybe the Rockets, because I think you make a good point. You know, they made a major change to their team midseason, and they've now had a lot of time to watch film and analyze how do we really want to play? You know, and plus they were struggling at the time, so a reset's probably good for them. Um, but any one of those four teams, and even, you know, throw Dallas in there, although I'd be a little surprised because they don't have the playoff experience. But they got the talent to upset the Lakers or Clippers. But when you start talking about beating one of them and then turning around and beating the other one, or for two of those teams to knock off the Lakers and Clippers in the second round, I just don't see that. I think it's the Lakers or Clippers who will get out. I think there's a decent chance 
you know, that it'll be the two of them in the conference finals because it not only comes back to talent, it comes back to star talent. And you have somebody as good as Kawhi, do you have somebody as good as LeBron? Because if the answer is no, you're probably in trouble. Now, no. Jokic plays so differently, he could be a really difficult matchup. And Harden is obviously very good, but. I still think it'll end up being Lakers and Clippers. Okay, I don't have any problem with that, but at the same time, you just mentioned Dallas, and you mentioned because of two players. Mm -hmm. Well, I think the third best player behind those two is Doncic. Right, but he doesn't have the playoff experience, so and and you don't don't have have it because he does have playoff experience because of the Euroleague. You think? Yes. Yeah, and I Uh, think that that quality of league and the quality of hoop being played obviously is very high because he was a star there. And what did he do? He's a star here. Well, Magic Bird, Duncan, I mean, we can come up with a few guys off the top of our head who've had success at that age or younger. Um, I, I just can't go out on a limb and predict it. But right now they're sitting no, in seven. No, I agree with you. Yeah, they're sitting in seven. And if he just completely goes out of his mind and lights up the Clippers – and they upset him, well, okay, it, it can happen. I, I certainly wouldn't bet on it, but it, it could. Well, I, think, I think the future for Dallas is extremely bright because of the fact, too, you just had their second-best player who didn't play a whole year. And we've seen with injuries, you take a look at Gordon Hayward, you know, he's better being yeah. removed yep. from the injury. So I think you have to allow the young man at Porzingis to get back. And so they're still both of those kids – do they even equal 40 in their combined age? If they do, it's barely over it. And so they've got next year. And then having Dwight Powell, big man out of Stanford who went down, that's a blow. So I wouldn't put them in there. But I'm just saying, if you're listing the best players in the West, I think Doncic has got to be high on that list. I'm not putting him at one or two, but I still think he's got to be high on that list. I do think to go for the ultimate prize, it's usually I would I would pick three teams and let you have the other 90% of the league and we bet on the finals, and I win eight or nine years out of ten. And this year, Bucks, Lakers, Clippers, you can have the other 90%. I'll take my chances. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Of all the leagues, the, the NBA right. is the most predictable in terms yep. of determining who's going to win it. But there'll be drama along the way. And uh, I would be, yeah, oh, I would be, sure. I'd be all in for a Raptor Celtic series if it gets to that, and I'd be all in for whoever wins that series against the Bucks. I think those oh, are both I'm all be entertaining. In if it's, if it's uh, Memphis and uh, uh, who else? Philly. I, talk, I don't care. <laughs> Memphis and Philly. If it's Memphis and Philly, then we're putting an asterisk next to this year. Yeah, but either way, I'm going to be watching. Yeah, I'll probably be watching, but we're oh, putting a big old be. gigantic asterisk next to it if it's if it's six versus eight. Okay, fine, but I'm still going to be watching. And because of it being wasn't player or owner or labor induced, yeah. I don't care. Yeah, that's true too. It's the best. That, it's the best that can be done. If it can be done, we talked earlier in the show with uh, Barry Sarluga, who said. Uh, you know, should we really be doing this? Is it going to be shut down? Florida's turning into a hot spot. Is somebody in Orlando going to come in and a whole team's going to test positive and put the playoffs on hold for two weeks? Uh, you know, there, there's a lot of X factors out there that we can neither control nor predict right now. True. Uh, baseball's back, baby. We talked about that this morning. Uh, there are a lot of storylines. ESPN.com did a nice... Uh, 
deal, you know, 60 storylines for 60 days. Uh, They had to reach for a few of them. But the fact is, if you get past the money and the labor troubles, there's a lot of intriguing stuff. You know, managers are personalities and from Phil Jackson in basketball to Bill Belichick in football to who in baseball? Maybe Tony La Russa. You know, they can project a certain amount of confidence and... That is critical in sports. Even elite athletes can have confidence issues at the highest level. So Joe Madden, does he work his magic? Does it translate? He's an angel now. He's always been an angel in my heart. (laughs) Thanks, Uh, I'd have to analyze their pitching staff a little closer. I mean, obviously they pick up Rendon, and he's a nice player. Uh, He was a great player last year, not just a nice player for Washington. He was a great player. And they haven't had a third baseman, I think, since Doug DeSenze. We're going way back. Way Maybe back. Troy, Troy Gloss, he was a nice player for them. But uh, that they've got, I think they've got enough offense. But in baseball, almost always, it boils down to pitching. Yeah. Well, and they brought up the point in that story about the Dodgers and having four young arms. They got a couple stars at the top of the rotation. Kershaw isn't what he is, but or isn't what he was, but he is still a guy who's got an ERA around three. And they pointed out they got four good young arms behind him. So the rest of the rotation, they can fill that out. And if there aren't a lot of off days, uh, they got the pitching to handle it. So Pencil the Dodgers in for a seventh straight division title, and then we'll see what they can do in the postseason. I would say most likely, yes. I mean, Walker Bueller, I think, is ahead of of Kershaw now. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's at the top of the rotation, but yeah, oh yeah, and they added the second best player in the game in Betts. Yeah, I mean, if you're talking about top to bottom all around, that guy's a stud. I don't know that he'll be there after next year. Hopefully, he'll like playing in the National League West and want to sign with the Diamondbacks as a free agent. Nice. But, <laughs> but uh, for now, anyway, he's going to be on that ball club this year. So, yeah, they're, they're prohibitive. They won the freaking division by 20-some games last year, didn't they? So, they, I did skim through that story real quick, trying to see what they said about the Padres and the Diamondbacks. The only shout-out they gave to Arizona was, Bumgarner in a D-backs uniform and Fernando Tatis Jr. in the Padres uniform. They, they kind of, but not much expectation. They kind of blew through those two teams very quick. Did not provide a lot of storylines. Here's your star. Next. Well, then they don't have a whole lot of faith in that division because I think the Diamondbacks finished second last year. They won 85, 86 games, uh, which is, as I said earlier, if you win that many games, I think you're a halfway decent ball club. But obviously the Dodgers, I mean, they ran away. They've been running away with it. They own the division. It's been theirs for a number of years. They're to the NL West what the Braves were all those years. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. That's a lot of stuff we have been talking about during this show. And it is brought to you in part by Larry H. Miller, Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, Ram, and Sandy. Find your deals online at LHMDeals.com. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. Let's go. The Big Show. It's a big deal. With Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. I've driven through Declo with Scott Gerard. Declo has some stuff. It's got a school there. It's got a little uh, intersection. You do blink and you miss it. I stopped at a gas station near Declo. There was a woman behind the counter. I said, do you know Scott Gerard? She said, no. So not everybody knows him. What, are you just trying to put Scotty down? Why would you I tell that story? No. At no point that I would put Scotty down. Uh-huh. Declo has some stuff. You do blink and you kind of miss it. Not everybody knows him. I like Declo, man. I like the people I've met there. I got nothing but good things to say. Uh-huh. 
The Big Show. Weekdays from 2 to 7 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Feedback of the day is brought to you by Audi Salt Lake City, where you can pick up a new Audi Q5 SUV. For only $3.59 per month, visit Audi Salt Lake City at 999 South State or AudiSaltLakeCity.com. Question of the day, are you ready for some baseball? At Stonegate for me, go Twins! Exclamation point. All right, the Twins. Did you know in the Korean League they've got a team called the Twins? I didn't. Yeah, they do. Colby Peterson tweets at his man, I've been ready for three months. Me too. It's about time. I agree. Uh, then we got this one. Uh, do you think fans will be allowed to go? Kelly wants to know. I don't know, man. From what we've heard so far, no. You see the tweet that came in this morning of uh, multiple guys on the PGA Tour uh-uh. tested positive. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, where is it? Uh, just was looking at it here to see what was going on. Uh, Brian Wacker, I'm not sure he, he is. Uh, he works for, it looks like he's got uh, World uh, Words at Golf Digest and at Golf World, so he's obviously some type of golfer. He tweeted out breaking. Sources have confirmed there are multiple positive tests for COVID-19 on the PGA Tour, in addition to the one reported earlier this morning. I don't know who the one is earlier this morning. Graham McDowell pulled out of this week's tournament because it was caddy testing positive. That was a story this morning that might Okay, be that's it. probably what it was then. Yeah. I wonder, uh, as they go back and do this contact tracing, you know, where did guys overlap uh, clubhouse traveling, you know, they're on a charter airplane. Well, so you know, is it the golf that puts you at risk, or is it something else throughout the Watney day? Watney last week, him and Sergio Garcia flew on a private plane together to that tournament. That's why Sergio was tested like four or five times. Well, Kapka, too. I just has just, just come across uh, Brooks Kepa's latest golfer withdrawal from this week's Travelers Championship after oh. his caddy, Ricky Elliott, tested positive. There you go. Now, that's in addition to what you just said, Yak, about Graham McDowell. Had a poll question we put up yesterday. It's all done now with about 400 votes. When the NBA starts, do you want to hear crowd noise piped in or do you want to hear the players and the coaches? Uh, 7% of you want the noise piped in. 29% of you want all the strategy. 63% of you want to hear Joe Ingles' sarcasm. We'll bring that up with Joe tomorrow. Oh, I'm not talking angles after that shot he took out us early <laughs> in the week, man. <laughs> He's on my list. You get on my list, and I pity the fool. All right. Thanks, Mr. T. We'll leave it there. (laughs) DJ and PK, Joe Ingles coming up tomorrow. Hands and Scotty are coming up next.